0: I'm gonna start off right now by answering probably the most important question that someone asked for You Choose Sunday. So, you ready? So, we're at the top. Here it is Which one of your kids really is your favorite? Now, all the parents in the room know I cannot. It's impossible to answer that question because the other three will feel bad. So I can't answer that question uh, in the room today. Just just kidding, just kidding. If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element Church, and I I really don't have one favorite. Two are tied at the top of the four, and so I'm not gonna tell you which two those are. And if you're joining us via video, uh, glad you're with us as well, whether you're here in the building or on the internet somewhere, uh, just glad that you are with us today. Second week of uh, a two-week mini-series called You Choose. Sunday, where all the songs we're singing, you selected all the questions we're answering, you submitted. And I'll just warn you, I can't get to all the questions, Although our goal is this week to do a Facebook live event where I answer all the questions that have not been answered yet. So be watching for that, I'll do my best. And we're also just touching the tip of the iceberg on these questions, wetting your appetite a little bit. None of my answers are uh, complete answers by any means, so understand that as well. Before I invite my wife up here to the platform, I did want to just remind us all of something I told you last week. We're m- one month away today from our annual year-end offering called the Sow that offering on Sunday, December 10th. And so I want us to start getting prepared for that offering. It's above and beyond our regular giving, and you all are already extremely generous through your regular support of God's ministry here. This is above and beyond that. Uh, all of our ministries, all of our local outreach that we do, we support through our regular giving. But the I Heart Wyoming initiative is supported fully through the So That offering. And our goal this year, we want to we partner not with 14 churches like we did in 2017. We want to partner with 20 churches in 2018, literally giving them money, no strings attached, to help them serve their communities in tangible ways. The goal is to elevate, expand, and reinforce the credibility of God's church all throughout the state of Wyoming. And we accomplished more last, this last year, 2017. We accomplished more with the $100,000 we gave through 14 churches than we ever could have accomplished on our own there was, I think, four different churches that with the funds we gave them started continual ministries, not just one of them events, but ministries that will continue to serve their communities. Uh, we have a, a church that started a veterans ministry, a food ministry, uh, several other ministries to other organizations that will continue all throughout the year. And so we're going to do that again next year. 20 churches we're going to partner with is our goal. To do that, We are praying for $250,000 to come in through our generosity to the So That offering. And I believe for that to happen, we are going to need God to move some people's hearts to give substantial gifts. $25,000, $50,000, $100,000 gifts. And I know to most of us in the room, that may as well be a million dollars, right? But for some people, God has positioned them to give in that way. He has. He does it all throughout history, positions people to give to his work in that way. Here's all I know, okay, that God loved the world so much he gave his one and only son so that anyone who believes in him can have eternal life. And that's why we give as well. That Because we love God, we give so that through his church we can reach more and more people to come to know him, to live more like him, and spend eternity with him. So I'm just asking all of us to pray. That's all I'm asking. Just Pray. This is if you call Element Church Home, God, what do you want to give through me? Okay, we got one month before we got to give it. And uh, we'll keep it open all the way through December 31st. It's a, it's a true year end offering. So we'll keep that open. And then, whatever God directs your heart to give, I'd encourage you to do that. And I want to remind you, too, here at the year's end, when people are sometimes looking for different ways to give, uh, you can give through non traditional ways as well. So, more than just giving through a check or cash or through online giving, uh, be thinking about, for some of you, you need to be thinking about this, not everybody, but some of you, uh, that you can give through real estate, precious metals, stocks and bonds. At the end of the year, you Gotta be reminded of that. And that's throwing that out there to you. So thanks for letting me share that with you, and be praying about what God wants to do through you. So uh, it was must not have been so bad last week that my wife didn't want to show up again. She's here again, and so I'm thrilled that she is here to share the stage with me. So would you welcome my wife Sabrina again to get into the platform? <laughs> thanks for coming back. You don't have your mic yet, so you can't talk for everybody to hear you, but. You submitted well to me. <laughs> Did I say that out loud?
1: I may not be here for a second.
0: <laughs> I was just trying to fill the gap before you got your mic on. Oh, I see.
1: I see. <laughs> you didn't fill <feel> it very well.
0: <laughs> it's going to be a fun day. I okay, can tell. we better
1: get started before yeah. we get in trouble. Yeah, no. The first question comes from someone who is struggling to get past their past. They asked, I think about the past a lot, and it sometimes gets in the way of my time with God. How do I stop thinking about my past and more into the future?
0: Okay. So I'm just going to let everybody know. (laughs) Buckle up, okay. Because we are taking fewer questions today, and they are really, really deep. Okay. So put on your thinking caps. Lean in, because today we're getting down kind of into the nuts and bolts of our, of our faith and tackling some pretty heavy and deep questions, even starting with this one. There is no easy answer to this question, okay? It's a common question, but there's no easy answer. Like, I can't, nobody can just tell you, well, stop thinking about your past. Doesn't work that way. It'd be super easy if we just stop thinking about our past. So I'm assuming, I don't know, but I'm assuming in this person's life that asked this question, there is either... Something that happened to them in the past that's painful, or something you did that you regret, so I'm just assuming that, that you're, it's hard to get past. So I, I don't know what it is, but here's a couple questions that I want to throw out there. For all of us, if you're trying to get past your past, first of all, is there something that you did in your past that is yet to be forgiven by God? Because if there's undealt with sin in your life, this could be God trying to deal with your sin. So sometimes God doesn't let us let go of that if he's not yet dealt with it in our life. Here's another question. Did someone do something to you in your past that you need to forgive them of, okay? So is there something you did or is there something done to you, you might need to forgive them. Last week, we answered a question about forgiveness. You might wanna go back and listen to last week's uh, answers as well. You go to our website, our podcast, or our app to do uh, that as well. Beyond those two things, so if it's not someone you need to forgive or something that needs forgiven, I would suggest that maybe you're listening to the voice of our enemy, the devil, instead of listening to the voice of God. And here's what I mean. God speaks words of conviction The enemy speaks words of condemnation. The two are different, okay? So conviction, I've told you this before, conviction's a great thing. Conviction is the voice of God, and his voice says, you sinned. It's meant to draw us back into his presence. I still love you, but I want to deal with this sin in your life. God will only, listen clearly, he will only ever bring up our sin so that he can forgive it. That's the only reason God brings up our sin is to forgive it. Condemnation is the voice of the devil. So conviction is the voice of God says you sinned. Condemnation is the voice of the devil and he says you suck. You're no good. God would never forgive you. God would never love you. And his voice is meant to drive us away from God to keep us in our past, which I get by the way. Like I've told you before, I struggle regularly, especially before I come up here to present a message to you of the voice of the enemy saying, how can you preach to them? Don't you know who you were? And that's the key there, who you were, that Jesus made me new. Amen. And that's what we have to, to lean on. So conviction's meant to draw us to God. Condemnation is meant to drive us away from God. I heard a, a message just uh, it was in the last couple of weeks from Craig Rochelle down at Life Church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and he made this statement, thought it was brilliant, it's on the screen. It says this the devil knows your name but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin but calls you by your name. Isn't that good? So that that hopefully is helpful. And then here's a scripture too. Philippians 3, 12 through 14 says this. I don't mean to say, this is the Apostle Paul, by the way, who Paul called himself the worst of all sinners. Paul, the guy who murdered Christians, is writing this. Philippians 3:12 through 14. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. And here's where it gets real relevant. forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So there's no easy answer. You're never going to forget your past, but I think you can get past your past by maybe focusing on the voice of God a little more or maybe dealing with some forgiveness things that you need to do in your life. So there you go.
1: This person is struggling to stay consistent in their faith. They said, I try to read the Bible and use prayer. I really try to be better, but I keep falling back into the same sins repeatedly. What else do I need to do to change?
0: So I think this is where a lot of professing Christians... Uh, find themselves in their life. And if you are the one that asked this question, please know you are not alone. I think this question is a common theme in Christianity. So obviously, yes, I think you should read your Bible. Yes, I think you should pray. Yes, I also think you should try to be better. I think we we need to understand this, and there's a big debate about this in Christianity, about works and, and no works, but we need to understand that God is not opposed to our effort in our faith. God is opposed to trying to earn his favor. It's a difference between effort and earning. I can't earn my salvation. There's nothing I can do to to be saved. But once I've been saved, it's hard work to live it out, right? It's hard work to live out our faith. So there's an effort involved in that. In fact, the Apostle Paul speaks to this. Philippians 2, 12b and 13 says this. Work hard, so there he says it, to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For... God is working in you, that's the grace part, giving you the desire, so we have the desire to do what's right, and the power to do what pleases him. So there we see it's possible to live a life that's pleasing to God, but it's hard work. Our works matched with God's grace, I think, bring that power into our life. So a couple things here, again, not knowing the specific situation of the question coming from, I think there's a a couple directions I want to go here, okay? So a couple questions I think we need to ask ourselves, if this is your scenario, here's a couple questions to ask, that if you keep going back, to the same sins over and over and over, here's the first question to ask. I'm not saying this is you, okay, but you need to ask this question. Have I really been saved? Have I really been saved? Because I do believe there are times when people think they are saved, but they're not really saved. They have not been born again. There's a difference between having forgiveness of sins and being born again, okay, okay? So 1 John 3, verse 9, John, the apostle of Jesus, one of his closest friends, John writes this, Those who have been born into God's family or those who are saved do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them, so they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. That's deep, right? That's scary, right? (laughs) So this practice of sinning that John uses that phrase That is the habitual disobedience of the known will of God. That I know what God's will is, but I intentionally do this thing instead. According to John, I didn't make this up, okay? According to John, someone who makes a practice of that is not truly a Christian. I'm lingering to let that sink in, okay? The writer of Hebrews also says this, Hebrews 10, 26, and 27. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. Hello. That's sobering. It is to me. So I need to ask Am I truly saved? Have I repented of my sin, which is repent means to do a 180 and walk the opposite direction. Okay? So being a believer does not mean I was once living this way, I get forgiven, I continue living the same way. So I was once living this way, I've been forgiven because I turned and walked the other way. Now, it doesn't mean I'll never, ever, ever fall again, but that life of the practice of sinning should cease. Okay? I get concerned, by the way, when I hear people say things like, I've always been a Christian. Because it's not reality. That's like having someone ask you what your birthday is and you say, oh, I've always been born. (laughs) Oh, God. Awesome. No, you're born, right? And what's the phrase for becoming a Christian? You are born again. So there needs to be a point in your life where you have been born again. There's not anybody who's always been a Christian. That phrase scares me because it tells me that you may not know that you've had a moment where you passed from death to life. I'm not saying you got to know the day, the hour, the second, the minute, but you better know the time when you got saved. Or maybe you should go back to God and ask, am I really saved? Have I had that that moment where I've been, my spirit was dead, but now it's alive. So am I truly saved is the first question. The next one is this, do I need help? Now, I think in some cases, uh, perhaps there's an addiction that needs dealt with on a deeper level. Or there's some psychological thing going on, a subconscious agreement that you have made somewhere with the enemy in your life that you're not even aware of. But through counseling or prayer, that can be brought out. Maybe you're putting yourself in situations that lead you to that sin. So I would ask that. Are, are you putting yourself in the place where you keep on falling back? And then I would say that it might not be something that you need to do differently. It might be something the Holy Spirit has yet to do in your heart, which I think might lead in the very next question, if I'm right.
1: Yeah, we had several questions come in around the same topic. This person asked, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and why do you not preach about the baptism of the Holy Spirit?
0: We all good so far? Nobody's so mad you can't listen? Okay. Let's keep listening, because we're going deeper. Every one of these, we're going a little bit deeper, so get your shovels out, okay? This, I'm about to open a theological can of worms I probably shouldn't open in this setting, but I'm going to anyway, because that's how we roll. So, I feel like, and again, I could be completely wrong, but I feel like I talk about the Holy Spirit on a weekly basis. I may not do a whole sermon on it, okay? I'll definitely be more intentional about this, because, hear me clearly, without the power of the Holy Spirit... It is impossible to live out anything we teach from this stage, impossible. It is only through the power of God's spirit that we are able to even live out anything good in our life even before we're a Christian. Think about that. The only good you do before you're saved is because we have a good God who gives you the ability to do good. So I I didn't mean to say that but somebody probably need to hear it. So I I don't use the phrase, I've never used it, baptism of the Holy Spirit. I use the phrase filled with the Holy Spirit I use this interchangeable. It means the same thing, say. So here's where I'm going. This is going to get deep, but hang with me. I believe in the life of the Christian, there is a deeper work that God wants to do that deals with this occasional slipping back into the old practices of my life. It does not make us perfect, but I I do think God wants to purify our hearts. And I think that God not only wants to forgive us, but he wants to then fill us with his Holy Spirit And I think those happen at two different times in our spiritual walk. I believe at salvation, I receive the Holy Spirit, but through sanctification, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, sanctification is a lifelong process of becoming more and more like Jesus, but I do believe our sanctification starts at a specific point In our spiritual walk. Now many people would say that on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that's when the disciples received the Holy Spirit, but I don't see it that way. I think they received the Holy Spirit weeks earlier and they were filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And here's why I believe that. In John chapter 20, this is after the resurrection, the disciples are in a room terrified. Jesus appears to them in this room. They believe in the risen Jesus. And John 20 verse 22 says this, Then he, is, Jesus, breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So I think at our belief in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. That we are forgiven and we receive. But I think that it's when we're filled, with, it's at the next level, the next thing God wants to do is fill us with his Holy Spirit. That I think in every Christian, at some point, there comes a time where we find we have this nagging in our soul. Something feels left undone. Something seems missing in our life. The desire is there. But I don't seem to have the power to break free from certain attitudes or conditions of my heart. And those undealt with attitudes and undealt with conditions lead to actions that I know don't please God. I'm missing something, and I think God wants to deal with that. So now, again, many Christians believe that people who genuinely love God, okay, they believe that the sign of being filled with the Spirit is speaking in tongues. We'll get to that in a second. I believe the sign of being filled with the Spirit is a heart that's been purified from those lingering attitudes and conditions and a newfound power to overcome those things in my life and live a consistent life that's pleasing to God. Okay, We're going to go deeper in this, so hang on. The reason I believe that, so, not solely, but one of the main reasons is the Apostle Peter. So Peter, one of the 12 original disciples of Jesus, before he was filled with the Spirit, was arrogant and prideful and selfish and cowardly. He wanted to be first. He looked out for his interests first. He believed in Jesus. He was forgiven, but he was yet to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, he had already received the Holy Spirit from John chapter 20 but now he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he became a different person, so much so that people took notice. So look at this, Acts four thirteen, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So these members of this council, they were the same ones Who arrested and killed Jesus. So, when they arrested Jesus, Peter and the disciples, they were nowhere to be found. They ran away because they were cowardly. They were afraid. They were worried about themselves first, but now they had this newfound power and boldness and courage, a love that was not centered on themselves. It was centered on a perfect love that God put in their heart, which John later tells us in 1 John chapter 4, that perfect love expels all fear. So could Peter have been filled with that perfect love at Pentecost? I think maybe so. I think maybe so. I think when it says that they recognized these men had been with Jesus, they were saying, what happened to these guys? Because weeks ago they were terrified of us, but now we can't shut them up. So something happened between then and Pentecost. I think Pentecost changed everything for these new believers. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. So I don't really care what you call it, okay? Many different denominations call it different things. Some call it baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some call it filled with the Spirit. Some call it entire sanctification. I don't care what you call it. All I know is it is evident in Scripture. You cannot escape it. Every believer is called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Read all through the book of Acts alone. There are countless stories where the apostles would encounter Christians and they would ask them, have you been filled with the Spirit? If they hadn't, they would pray to receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? If you haven't, you might want to seek that from your Heavenly Father. Uh, I think you need to understand this. The filling of the Holy Spirit is only available for those who already believe. And I think it is predicated by a total surrender. Every nook and cranny of my heart given access to God. Every attitude, every condition of my heart, surrender to him so I can truly say, thy will be done. That's the mark of someone who's been filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? So again, I'm let that sit. Have you been filled with the Spirit? I think that work that God wants to do for many people is what you're looking for. And maybe you've just never been told it was available, and it is. You'll see it all through the New Testament, so... So good. Okay, get your shovels We're going deeper.
1: <laughs> so again, along those same lines, we also had several questions come in about speaking in tongues. This person asked, what is the prayer language that comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what are the gifts of the Spirit and what do they mean?
0: So second question first, what are the gifts of the Spirit? What do they mean? Gifts of the Spirit are just that. They are gifts, their talents, their abilities that God gives to everyone who believes, okay? Those gifts are to be used to build his kingdom and advance his mission, to build his church, advance his kingdom. Three specific passages in the New Testament talk about spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 6-8, 1 Corinthians 12, 4-11, 1 Peter 4, 10-11. So Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4. Do your own reading on spiritual gifts. There is tons of information out there on spiritual gifts. Every Christian has a gift. Used to advance the kingdom of God. You can do your own reading on that. Several people, though, multiple, ask questions about the prayer language or speaking in tongues that is available when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began speaking in tongues. On that specific occasion, though, it's important to note that this was not a prayer language, it was actually people languages in Acts chapter two, okay? So in Acts two, verse four, the 120 believers were in a room praying. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit because God, Jesus told the disciples, wait until I send the Holy Spirit's power on you. So they were waiting. Acts two, verse four, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. So everyone was filled and began speaking in other languages, some versions say tongues, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability, which by the way, to me, this implies that everyone was filled, but not everyone spoke in languages. I, that's my opinion, but I think that phrase, as he gave them the ability, speaks to the fact that not everyone had that ability. That's besides the point here. The point here that this specific case was not a prayer language, it was a people language. We know that because a few verses later, Acts 2, 7, and 8, these other people that were there in Jerusalem, they heard what happened in that room, they came running and it says this, they were completely amazed, how can this be, they exclaimed, these people are from Galilee, yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages and it goes on to list 15 different people groups at one time that were hearing their own language. So this would be like me who can't speak a lick of Spanish, I can barely order food at Taco Bell, so I can't (laughs) speak Spanish, okay? but I I then am given the gift to speak Spanish in order to share the gospel with Spanish-speaking people. That's what happened here in Acts chapter 2. Now, when someone refers to speaking in tongues, they are typically not talking about that, okay, about speaking in a known language. When someone talks about a prayer language or speaking in tongues, they're talking about the Holy Spirit giving them the ability to speak or to pray in an unknown or unintelligible language to God. It's not a human language. It is a spirit language. And if you were to hear them speaking in that tongue, unless you also had the gift of interpretation, which the scripture says some people do, it would just sound like gibberish to you. It's a prayer language that communicates between you and and the Lord. So, So for some of you, this is like a what in the world are you talking about thing. For others of you, it's very commonplace, so let me kind of get us all on the same page. I personally have never spoken in tongues, okay? I personally never have. There are people who I know, people who I love, people in our church, people who have been on our staff that have the prayer language, the gift of speaking in tongues to God in their prayer time to Him. I definitely do not believe that speaking in tongues is the sign of being filled with the Spirit. I think it can be a sign, but not the sign. I believe everyone filled with the Spirit is given new power, courage, and boldness to live their life for God. That's the universal sign of being filled, okay? There's other marks of being filled. Tongues can be one of them, okay? I also don't think the gift of tongues is any greater than any other gift, nor should it be pursued higher than other gifts. One of the biggest problems I have with churches who teach this as a predominant thing is many of them, not all of them, but many of them teach this this as the gift to pursue the most. And that I have a problem with. Okay, My philosophy is this. Don't pursue a certain gift. Pursue the giver of the gifts, and he will give you the gift you need. Okay? Because the moment we start pursuing a gift, we make the gift greater than the giver. And I need to pursue the giver of the gifts and trust that whatever gift he gives me is the one he wants me to have for that time. Now, there might be a time in my life, I've asked God. Lord, if, if this gift is available, if there's something else I don't have, I will, I'll gladly take it. I'm not opposed to speaking in tongues. I've just never been given that ability. So, but again, many of you have. And praise God, uh, I, I think you should use that as God has given you that gift. Now, 1 Corinthians 14, 18 through 19, Here's I'll give you our position as a church on this issue. The Apostle Paul says this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. But in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. If you want the Bible practice of tongues, read 1 Corinthians 14. It gives all sorts of do's and don'ts about speaking in tongues in the church and even outside the church. So because of those words there, here at Element Church, here's our official stance on speaking in tongues. We don't, as a church, practice or promote speaking in tongues in our public service. One of the reasons is we reach so many new people to church, it can be a very scary thing when it happens, okay? Especially when it happens not according to Scripture. When Scripture says only one person should speak in tongues at a time, not multiple people together. And that's one of the other beefs I have sometimes when it happens. But anyway, we don't promote or practice it. We ask that if you have that gift, and we believe you can, that you use it in your private prayer time only, because, and here's why, I believe spiritual gifts are controllable, okay? I don't think God gives us uncontrollable gifts. For instance, if I have the gift of encouragement, I don't start spouting off bursts of encouragement at inappropriate times. Like, I know when to control my tongue and when not to give words of encouragement. I think the same is true for tongues. Uh, I think God can give us the, the, the power, the ability to know when to speak it and when not to speak it. And our stance is we're not going to promote it or practice it in our public service. If you want to do that in your own private, private time, man, more power to you. First Corinthians 14, I think, even encourages that, to use that in your own private prayer time. So there, there you go, speaking in tongues.
1: This was a popular Why question. Why would you laugh at me? I don't know. Okay. I was waiting for the cue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know when you were going to be done talking. I didn't mean that bad. (laughs) (laughs) This was a popular question as well and is a very hot topic in our culture today. How does a church feel about transgender people and those who are in the LGBT community?
0: Okay. So my plan worked and we're going to have plenty of time to answer this question. Okay. Talk about going deep. Right. So I'm going to actually pray. Is that okay? I think this question is, is, let's pray. God, we we need your Holy Spirit, and I need your Holy Spirit to help me say the right words in the right way about this need in our world. And so, Lord, right now, I pray for your Spirit to bind up our enemy in Jesus' name, that he would have no place here. And, Lord, that you'd open up our hearts, open up our, our ears to your truth, to your love, to your power. And uh, that you'd unify us in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I wanna clarify the initial question that came in actually asked, How does the church feel about the transgender issue? And I'm guilty of using the word issue as well, so I'm not innocent in this. I'm doing my best to get away from that word, because I want us to remember this that when it comes to the LGBT community, this is not an issue to be solved. These are people to be loved, okay? This is not an issue. This is a, a, a people that need to be loved, especially by the church, okay? Especially by the church. So I just read a book recently that's perhaps, it's the most helpful book I've read. If there's anything on my bookshelf I'm reading the most now, it's about this, about how do we respond? What does the Bible actually say? What does it mean when it says it? I'm really devouring this right now. So this book, it's not on the screens, but it's called People to be Loved, Why Homosexuality is More Than Just an Issue. Incredible book, highly recommend it for both sides of, of this, okay? Both sides of the spectrum, I think this book's super helpful. So let me answer the question, how does the church feel about transgender people and those who are in the LGBT community? I would just say we feel about them the same way we feel about any person we love Them. We love them. So if you are a transgender person, or you have someone in your life that you love that is a transgender person, or maybe you're wrestling with feelings that you don't know what to do with, or you're living in the LGBT community, just please know not only are you welcome here, but you are invited to be here, and we want you here, okay? We want you here. And if you have friends and loved ones, we want them here. Okay, so this is not a cop-out answer. Please hear me. I've addressed the LGBT community and lifestyle very openly from this platform before. I am not ashamed of or afraid of the position that I hold. But through a lot of reading that I've done recently on the subject, both by people who are on opposite sides of my position and on the same side, which, by the way, I think it's healthy to read opposing sides, It helps you understand where the other group's coming from, okay? Instead of just stacking your armory with with bullets to fire, learn what the other side believes as well, okay? So from reading both sides of the argument here, as well as talking with people who are in the LGBT community, I've learned, I'm learning this, that this question is much too personal much too painful, and oftentimes far too confusing to throw blanket answers at it, okay? So let me share a few concerns I'm having, <laughs> some concerns I'm wrestling with on both sides. First of all, to the church, not just Element Church, but the Big C Church. More than getting this right, we, more than being right, we need to get this right. I think we've tried to be right about homosexuality for about 30 years. And in trying to be right, we've created a chasm that I'm not sure, without God's incredible power, we are going to ever bridge the gap. So we got to get this right more than be right in this. This is not going away. (laughs) Until Jesus comes back, this ain't going away. Like this ship has sailed, right? So no matter what you believe, I'm going to challenge you to know why you believe it know why you believe it, not just pointing at scriptures, but knowing what does the scripture really say. That's where I think we struggle in the church. And I'm not saying that that our position has to change. I'm not saying that. I do think our presentation needs to change. Across the board in the church, someone asked the question, how do we reach the LGBT community as a church? Here's a start I think we need to stop making demands of them and start having dialogues with them. I, I'm, again, I'm learning that behind every person, regardless of sexual orientation, is a story. And it seems like in the church, we, we want to know the stories of the addict. We want to know the stories of the divorcee. We want to know the story of the ex-con. But nobody seems to want to know the story of the person who's transgender or living in the LGBT lifestyle or community. So instead of seeking dialogues with them, we stand behind our Bible and yell demands. So I received an email this week. This might blow some of you away. I received an email this week from someone in our church who is actively living in an openly gay marriage. They're a regular attender here in our church. Over the past 15 months, I've been having a dialogue with them about our opposing views. And the email I got this week and our relationship has been super helpful to me and super challenging to me. And I told them, I responded in the email, I told this to my wife recently and other people, "It's, it's awfully, it's too easy for us as the church to just stand behind our Bibles and point our fingers saying that's sin. It's a lot harder to do that across the table from someone when you know their name. And church, we need to learn their names and have dialogues with them and know their story. Doesn't mean our position has to change, but our presentation does. Our approach needs to change. And here, how this is where this is becoming so difficult for me and so challenging for me. Because when, when the church says to someone who is LGBT, when we say, that is sin, whether it's right or wrong whether you agree or not to him what they hear is you are sin because again right or wrong agree or disagree for them that's like telling you change the color of your skin again right or wrong agree or disagree i don't that's outside the point to them they're saying this is who i am So I am sin, if that's the case. This is why you're seeing how deep this has become and how delicate I feel this has to be. This is suicide rates, by the way. I know I'm rambling here. Suicide rates among LGBT teenagers, especially among those who come out in a religious environment, are staggering. They're staggering. You won't believe how many stories I've read recently where a child comes out to their parents and the parents say things like, you're no longer my son. I read a story of a teenager who grew up in the church. She was wrestling with these feelings of, "I'm, I'm... My body parts say I'm a girl, but I feel like I'm supposed to be a boy. She came to church one Sunday, and the pastor from the pulpit said these exact words. Those transgenders are an abomination. And it infuriates me. My heart breaks. Like if there's anything in my life right now... (coughs) I'm wrestling over more. It's this. And if you are not wrestling with this, there's something wrong. Because it's people that we're dealing with. So I feel like in some ways we're at a stalemate in the church. Because there is a, bu- a big push today from the LGBT community, and I understand their desire. I get it. I may not agree with it, but I understand it, okay? Okay? There's a big, a, a big push for churches to be affirming churches, meaning that we just affirm the LGBT lifestyle. What I'm wrestling with then is, well, what does someone do when they don't believe the Bible affirms it? I mean, so we're at a stalemate here. Like, what do I do? So I believe, again, you might disagree, but I believe you can accept someone for who they are without affirming the way they live. It's my opinion. I understand. We do it for all sorts of people, not just LGBT people, by the way. So, but to a person who lives in that lifestyle, okay, I, I get it, it doesn't feel like acceptance. It doesn't feel like love. So here's a challenge then, here's my other challenge to the other side now. This is where the argument comes up about love well, if you loved us, you just affirm our lifestyle, which actually I think the opposite could be true. That if I believe what the Bible says is sin, regard, just throw out LGBT, any sin. If I believe what the Bible says is sin is actually sin, and if I believe that living in opposition to what that Bible says is a matter of eternity, and it matters to the heart of God, then the greatest act of hatred I could ever do to someone is not let them know that what I believe is what I believe, that that is what I believe is true. Without saying anything, I actually hate that person if I really believe that that is true. So at some point, because I love them, I have to take a stand on what I believe to be true. I can be completely unloving in how I take that stand, and the church is guilty of that for sure, but how unloving would it be for me to see you out in the street following service, a car is barreling down on you and you either don't believe it's coming or don't see it's coming, but because I don't wanna hurt your feelings, I don't tell you a car's coming. How hateful is that? And spiritually, these are my exact words to this person in our church, sat across the table from out in the cafe, and we are on opposing sides, yet they, they've been so patient and loving towards me. But I said, how hateful would I have to be not to tell you that something is coming at you? And I looked her in the eyes, and I said, there is a car coming at you. And that's why I have to stand on my belief. And I know you disagree, and I know I know in me saying that it offends you greatly and it is not my desire to offend. It's my desire to love. And because I love you, I have to stand on what I believe. So I feel stuck, church, I do. I don't know how we navigate this, but we're gonna, we welcome the mess. We welcome it in our church. Here's here's what I know, if you are here and you are living in an open LGBT lifestyle, you're having same-sex attraction, you're dealing with feelings you don't know how to deal with them or what to do, where they come from, maybe you're just simply confused about the whole thing, I'd love to hear your story, I would. And we want you to know that you are important to us and you're important to us because you were important enough for Jesus to die on a cross for you. And because you're important to Jesus, you're important to us, okay? Now, I know that that answer was not as strong as some of you wanted, or not as affirming as others wanted, but that's where I stand right now, okay? I love you guys. Um, If you're new, we'd love to see you in the living room when you're done. Uh, It's right through these doors here across the lobby. If you need prayer for anything, if this brought up some things you need prayer for, stop by by the purple tent in the back of the auditorium. We'll do our best to pray for whatever need you have. Other than that, let me pray for you, and then we'll get you on your way. God, thanks for being so good to us. You are more than gracious. And uh, I, I pray that as we deal with these deep issues of life, that you would give us your Holy Spirit's power to love everyone unconditionally, that we would know what your word says and stand boldly upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. See ya.